Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and we're back again after an unplanned two-week hiatus. And I'm very pleased to uh, welcome back to the show my friend and uh, fellow Mets 360 writer, uh, Charlie Hangley. Charlie, uh, thanks for stepping here and stepping in here at the last moment. <laughs> Anytime, Brian. Well, let's get right to it. Um, you know, the, uh, since the last time that we talked, the, the Mets have hired Mickey Calloway to be their new manager. And I want to know, what are your thoughts on Calloway in particular and uh, the, the process of hiring a pitching coach to be the manager in general? Well, I like uh, Calloway a lot. Um, I'm, uh, I like his enthusiasm. His enthusiasm is infectious, absolutely infectious. I mean, if he can't get you excited, then, you know, you might want to check your own pulse because, you know, I think he could, I, I think he could inspire a rock. Um, and, and so I'm excited for, for uh, you know, for, for the coming season. Just from that standpoint, even absent any, uh, <laughs> absent any great roster moves, which I don't hold out much hope for, Um I think Callaway will bring a dynamic we haven't seen around this team since since Bobby Valentine, really. Uh, in terms of hiring pitching coaches in general, it's definitely new. You don't see it all that often. Uh, I I uh, I know John Farrell obviously had had some some pretty good success with the Red Sox, uh, and Bud Black has done well. And I'm not sure, but I think. Bruce Bochy might have been a pitching coach as well, even though he was a catcher. Uh, so, I mean, I, you know, it can work. You just don't hear about it a lot. Now, um, Fred Wilpon once famously claimed that Art Howe lit up the room during his interview. And if Wilpon thought that about Howe, I wonder what he would think about uh, Callaway, who certainly seems to be a, a notch or two higher than Howe on the enthusiasm uh, 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 roster schedule. Um, can't think of the word that I'm looking for. But anyway, we were talking about pitching coaches, and you mentioned a couple of the more recent ones. I like to go go back even a little bit further, and I think about uh, guys like Roger Craig and uh, even before him, Bob Lemon. So like you say, it, mm. it's not a common thing to do, but people uh, have been very successful in that, and I don't think that uh, – there should be any kind of stigma attached to him because he's a pitching coach and those guys don't become managers. And I, I don't know the reason why that they, they're not given the chance, but uh, certainly the, we can't say that we haven't seen people be uh, making the successful jump from pitching coach to manager. Right. I agree. All right. Well, Mets blog is reporting that the team is uh, – interested in reuniting Callaway with one of his uh, former pupils in Cleveland, and that's uh, reliever Brian Shaw. And, uh, you know, that made sense to me, but then I saw the the, the alleged price tag, uh, a three-year, $27 million contract. 
And, uh, wow, um, I have to say that kind of knocked me on my heels a little bit. What do you think about that, uh, both uh, Shaw in, in general and uh, that, that price tag in particular? Oh, I like Shaw a lot. He's a wonderful relief pitcher, but not at nine mil a year. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that, that relievers were hardly paid anything at all, and I, I'm obviously in relative terms and in, in major league terms. Uh, or got that much recognition. It's only in the last, you know, couple of postseasons that relief pitching has had such a premium put on it, and people are are starting to take notice. So I think it's a little bit of a jump uh, to get up to that number right now. Uh, maybe in a year or so, you'll see relief pitchers commanding that kind of money. But for for Brian Shaw right now, that's a little bit off the charts. We're going to be looking at uh, either arbitration uh, raises or settlements for both uh, the, the the first two options in the bullpen for the Mets, and of course that's Familia and uh, AJ Ramos. Um, and those figures are going to be right around nine million, I would expect seven, eight, nine million somewhere in that range. And just the idea of paying twenty-seven million to your top three, and then you add Jer- Jerry Blevins, who I think is seven, seven and a half. I mean, I, I just yeah. find it very hard oh to God. believe that they're going to be spending $34 million on uh, four relief pitchers that, that would, and, and not have one of them be our oldest Chapman. That, that would seem to be a little, little crazy. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly my point. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's going to come to that and, and in, in fairly short order, but it's, you know, we're not there yet. You know, we can't, we can't now, go you, crazy. You mentioned um, because of the all, all of the uh, success and and focus that's been on relief pitchers, uh, specifically Andrew Miller, in, in in the past couple of postseasons, that people are are seeing more value in the bullpen. And I think that that's even been one of uh, one of the things that we've batted around at the site. Maybe the way to uh, uh, to counteract uh, the injuries to the starting rotation is to build up the biggest bullpen that we can. And and perhaps from that way, it might make some sense. But, uh, I mean, I do think it's an open question. If you have only $30 million to spend this offseason, do you want to spend nine of it on your third or fourth reliever? Exactly, exactly. And d- believe me, we as Met fans don't – shouldn't ever question the value of a bullpen. We stared one right in the face in the World Series two years ago. You know, so, and, so we know how, value, how, how valuable it can be. And a, uh, um, a late-season meltdown uh, back in 2008 uh, as well, as if we needed further information. But all right, en- enough of that. Uh, I want to talk about one of uh, my favorite Mets the, the past few years, and, and that's Curtis Granderson. Um, the Dodgers left him off of their World Series roster, and this, of course, was the last year of the contract that he signed with the Mets. And I want to know, do you think this is it for him, or do you think he'll be back playing somewhere uh, in 2018? I think he'll be playing somewhere in 2018, and I think it might very well be City Field. Uh, I don't think he'll he'll be the starter. I don't think he'll command uh, all that high a salary. Uh, on what was an, an, an really an off year for him. Um, but I think he's still got something in the tank. I think he'll be back for at least another year, maybe two. Uh, 
And one of those two, I think, will be spent in Queens. You know, it, it's so uh, it's such a different dynamic that uh, players have now. I mean, Grandison just finished up a four-year, $60 million contract, and clearly the only reason he's going to play again is if he's got the burning desire to play. There should be no financial incentive to do so whatsoever. But Granderson is, is such a, a well-liked, intelligent guy that you would think that he would have his pick of things that he wanted to do in, a, in post-career, uh, whether that be a manager or a broadcaster or front office guy or, or whatever. And it'll be real curious to me to see if you know, the, the fire is burning with him and, and he comes back and, and maybe plays on a, on a $5 million contract this year. Mm, yeah. And, and, well, I can just see him for no other reason. I mean, I know you don't want to spend money on this, but having him in the clubhouse is such a plus for any team. Uh, again, you don't want to, you know, it's, whatever you're paying him, it's got to be, you know, predicated on ability and what he can do with a bat in his hands or with a glove. Um, but having him around is a plus for any team. Our annual uh, GM simulation where we get 30 guys to act as the GMs of the 30 MLB clubs. And I was the, the Mets for the first time this year, and, and I brought back uh, Curtis Granderson in, in that role that you're talking about. Uh, fourth outfielder, somebody to add uh, protection in case either Cespedes or Conforto isn't ready to go either at the beginning of the year or at any point during the season. And I guess I kind of envisioned a, a 350-400 at-bat role for him. Uh, and I think that if you spot him, he could be an extremely valuable person, not just for his contributions on the field, but as you mentioned, in the clubhouse as well. Yeah, and that and that number seems about right in terms of his in terms of at-bats or plate appearances. You know that's that's about what, right. that's about what you can get that's about what you can get out of him now and still get some value. If you go much higher than that, the production is just going to decline. I want to um, maybe pull back a little bit instead of focusing so much on the Mets. I want to talk about MLB as a whole. And and one thing that we we heard a little bit during the the playoffs, at least on a, a national level, is talking about MLB and and expanding perhaps to 32 teams. And I want to know, do you think that MLB is ready for expansion right here in 2018? This year, absolutely not. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, I know it's been a while, but we're really kind of not that far removed from the talk about contraction, never mind expansion. Um, you know, quite frankly, I think uh, the two Florida teams are a drag on each league. Um, but that being said, uh, Expansion of 32 teams is probably going to happen. Um, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, it would take it would take a lot of doing, but it wouldn't shock me to see a third team uh, be in the New York metro area, whether it be in Brooklyn or New Jersey. Um, you know, the older guys in MLB will probably push for Brooklyn for its historical aspect, and it wouldn't. It actually wouldn't surprise me to see a team in Las Vegas. Uh, now that the door has been open um, with the NHL and the NFL, uh, you know, whatever stigma is attached in terms of gambling or anything like that, uh, you know, a market's a market and a buck's a buck. So and the powers that be in MLB, uh, you know, I've never seen anybody turn down money. So 
I think I think it's That's gonna true. happen. I don't think it's gonna I don't think it's gonna happen within the next two years, but I think it'll happen within the next ten. Um a couple of things that I want to uh, bring up. You were talking about a, a third uh, team in, in, in greater New York City area, and, and I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that that would be a wonderful idea, but of course you have to deal with the, the territory restrictions, and I think it's 50 miles from within the current stadium has to have the approval of the uh, the team, and I don't think either way that the Mets or the Yankees would allow that to happen, even though I don't think it would really materially affect them. Vegas would be uh, in an interesting option. And I think that, you know, if, if like you said that, you know, we're five, 10 years down the road before it happens, that way baseball gets to see perhaps what the pitfalls are with uh, either um, NHL or, or an NFL team out at, out there in Sin City. But the first thing that, that jumped into my mind is that everyone was so excited about the Mets getting away from Las Vegas. And now all of a sudden we're going to put a major league team in there. So I don't, I don't know exactly how that would work a, a dome I, or a retractable roof stadium, I guess would almost have to be the way to go to, to combat those uh, 100 plus degree days that are all too common in the summer. Right. It would, it would have to be a dome probably. Um, and no. in terms of, you know, in, in terms of the territorial issue in New York, listen, you get all the owners together you say we we're going to put a third team in the metropolitan area. They're going to pay a king's ransom to get in the club, whoever the owner is. It might even be Donald Trump by that point. Um, is that they're going to pay oh, you're a king's ransom me. to get? They're going to pay a king's ransom to get into the club. Uh, so why don't we give the Mets and the Yankees a little greater cut of the, you know, MLB advanced media money in exchange for you know a waiver of their territorial rights. I could see that happening. Yeah, I think that you the know. number that they would ask for would be so astronomically high that the rest of the owners wouldn't even wouldn't even consider it. But mm-hmm. um, uh, every man I, I wanna, has his price. <laughs> oh, I, with, without a doubt. Now, now I want to circle back to something that you at least implied, if not outright said. You were talking about uh, we're not that far removed from contraction. And, of course, contraction was a, a labor negotiation ploy more than anything else. But I do think that it, it struck a chord, at least with some people, about, hey, you know, the pitching's diluted, we don't, there's not enough talent, yada, yada, yada. Um, do, you, do you feel that the, the issue right here in the right now or in the next five to ten years, do you think that the, the available talent um, holds uh, is, is enough to, to stock 32 teams? I actually don't. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not one of these these doomsayers that says, you know, baseball's uh, on the way out and it's declining in popularity. Well, it is, there's no doubt that it is, it, it is declining and has declined in popularity as compared to other sports, but it's also declined in terms of participation. You know, there's there's been a great discussion in the past, you know, five years or so about the decline in participation uh, among African Americans in baseball. Uh, there's, you know, that most African American kids are more gravitating towards basketball and football. Um, and so, with with that sort of decline in participation at a young age, you don't get obviously you don't get developed, and you don't 
you, and you don't develop the love for the game as you get older because you're not really doing it or paying attention to it, you know? So, you know, there is, there is a problem with, with dilution, dilution of talent. There's just, you know, there's not, there's not that endless supply of, you know, robust young men who, you know, want to take a bat in their hands or throw a ball. You know, there's more of them that are, you know, wanting to put a ball through a hoop or hit, hit a wide receiver with a clothesline pass or quite frankly, sit and exercise their thumbs with a video game. So yeah, I, I can, there is definitely a, a, a talent dilution issue. No, I don't have the, the population numbers in front of me, but I do know that the, the height of African-American representation in Major League Baseball came somewhere in the early 1970s when I think it was about 21%. Um, but I don't think that the overall population uh, or the, the overall uh, number of people in the United States here in 20, late 2017, uh, I don't think it's 21% African-American. So I don't know if that's necessarily the number that we need to be uh, comparing it to. And I also think that we see a lot more international um, exposure uh, in, into the game now. We have so many people from the, the Dominican, and we're, we're hopeful that in the next few years we'll have something worked out with Cuba and uh, all of the other uh, Latin American countries and, and Australia and, and uh, the Far East and everywhere else where they love to play baseball. So I would take the opposite point from you. I would think that there, there is the talent pool for 32 teams uh, here. I think we just have to firm up the cities to make sure that we don't end up with a, a repeat of what we've seen in the Florida locations. Um, I want to get talking back talking about the Mets after our, our little uh, detour there. <clears throat> and I want to talk about um, a famous quote from our general manager where uh, he, he's uh, essentially said that defense is not as important as, as offense. And do you think that's an acceptable belief for a GM of a team built around pitching? Quite frankly, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, there's, there's, in the early days of, of the sabermetric movement, um, there was a quote, I think it was, it was probably from Bill James or one of his acolytes anyway, uh, that read, good pitching is good defense. You know, there's, there's no good pitching without good defense. And that, well, we that saw... I think, says it all. That, I think, says it all because you can't, you can't strike everybody out. Nobody's, you know... Nobody's thrown a 27 strikeout game. It just it, the human arm can't take that, and you can't expect that. I thought 20 was was unattainable until I saw Roger Clemens do it. Um, so it, it, it's it's it goes hand in hand. It's it's, it's gotta you gotta have you gotta use the eight guys behind you or seven guys behind you. I don't think there's any question that defense is not as important as offense, especially if you have a, a pitching staff capable of, of getting not only strikeouts, but, but weak contact. But we saw the, we saw the shortcomings of that approach this past year when, when the pitchers were injured and the defense was even, or 
uh, let me specify, the infield defense was even worse than than what we thought it was going to be. And part of that was as Jubal Cabrera playing shortstop, which we hope he doesn't play this year. And part of that was playing Wilmer Flores anywhere uh, in the infield. And, and hopefully we won't see as much of that this year either. Uh, but hopefully with uh, Ahmed Rosario coming up and then maybe a uh, – uh, a new guy to play either second or third base coming uh, via free agency. Perhaps we'll see a, a tighter defense and, and something uh, it, on the infield at least a, a little bit more like uh, major league average rather than scraping the bottom of the barrel like we were in 2017. I can only hope. I can only hope <laughs> we get a major league quality, major league quality infield defense. All right, well, uh, talking about dominating pitching, you know, it, it's uh, it's hard to put him in this category now, but Matt Harvey came back at the end of last year. He was once a dominating pitcher. He had uh, uh, decent enough velocity. He was consistently in, in the mid-90s, but it seemed to me that his breaking balls didn't have any bite and his command wasn't all that great. And I want to know, do you think he can recapture those things and be an, an effective pitcher or maybe even better in 2018? Oh, I would love it. I would love it if he could. That would be wonderful news for the team if he if he could recapture that. But I don't think the 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 Matt Harvey we saw in 2013 and 2015. I don't think that guy's coming back again. Uh, not without a major tear down and build back up of his mechanics, because I think he, with all the injuries that he's had, I think he's mechanics which were which were beautiful when he came up i mean it was, he was a wonderful pitcher to watch because he was so fluid and his and his motion was so good um i think it's going to have to be rebuilt i think i think it's gotten it's gotten all messed up with with the with all the ailments he's had um if that happens then we might we could be in for a treat but short of a short of a total redo of his of his mechanics and his approach, it's it's not likely we're going to see that guy again. I'd like to see a semblance of it, you know, but it's the days of Harvey's better are long gone. Now, this is the, the last year that he's under team control following the 2018 season. Matt Harvey can become a free agent. And I know a lot of people put a lot of stock into the, oh, it's his free agent year, so he'll have everything and every reason to go out and, and be his best. And I'm wondering, A, if you believe in that, and if so, B, if, if that would uh, uh, be all the incentive he needed to, to put in all of the work that he had to do to get back to that 2013 or 2015 level. Well, um, I... I I, I am a believer in that, um, mainly because I've seen it happen too often to not believe it. Um, if, if nothing else, look at Ryan Zimmerman this year. You know, um, not that he's going anywhere, but I think his contract is close to being close to being done. Um, but uh, again, I, I, I'm sure the will is there. I'm sure the willingness to work is there. I just don't know that, you know, how much, how much more wear and tear he can take. Yeah, that's certainly a, a, mm-hmm. 
uh, a strong enough reason to to be uh, bearish about his ability to come back. I I, I try to look for the positive and and the fact that he can get 95 on a, on a regular basis. I think is is a very good thing, and I think with an off season to focus on conditioning and and command. I mean, I would expect his uh, his command to be back. To me, the big question is if he's going to be able to make his breaking balls. Uh, move like they had in the past, and and I think anyone who tells you that they know one way or the other is is not doing anything more than guessing. I just don't think we've right. we've been down this road enough and and have enough comps or or have enough confidence in in how he's going to to react from the various surgeries that he's had to to tell whether or not that he can come back with uh, what did they used to call Doc Gooden's curve the the Lord the Lord Charles. I don't know if we'll ever see Matt Harvey throw a a, a a Lord Charles again. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm I'd love to see it, but I wouldn't bank on it. All right, well, uh, we've reached the point of the show. It's uh, crazy prediction time. I'm going to give you a, cr- a crazy prediction, and I'm going to ask you for your comment, and then I'm going to ask uh, you to give me your crazy prediction. Are you ready? Okay, go ahead. All right, so my crazy prediction is that after making it to the World Series, that the uh, Dodgers are, are going to reduce payroll. And uh, while they won't get quite down to the uh, to the luxury cap threshold, I expect that their payroll will be uh, $20 million less than it was the year before, which um, I, I can't imagine has happened any time recently here among uh, World Series participants. So I want to know, how crazy is that? Um, that is definitely within the realm of possibility. I mean, they've already started. They've, they, they cut loose Andre Ethier uh, last week. Uh, I don't suspect that Adrian Gonzalez is going to be making any appearances for them anytime soon, so that's a big number off the books. Uh, but I, I think not, they, still, they still have to pay him, though, don't they, Gonzalez? Well, that's, that's true, but still, it's not, a, it's, it's not as far-fetched as you, might, as you might think, especially because, I mean, those guys – that system is just a, a, a baseball factory. You know, it's like, it, it, it's, it's scary to, to, to see all the, all the prospects coming out of that, coming out of that system. It's like the Yankees in the fifties, you know, they just keep churning guys after guy after guy to replace the guy going out. It's, it's, it's unreal. The one thing you, so you mentioned the ethier and uh, they, they are responsible for a couple of million dollar buyout. But the other thing to go along with that is they, they picked up their option on uh, Logan Forsyth, which will uh, add a little bit more to the payroll, but uh, all right. So uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't come up with a crazy prediction. So give me yours. <laughs> My crazy prediction. Um, next year even with all the talent coming up and coming through and the way the kids the way the kids played quote unquote kids played this year the Yankees will be a 500 team at best next year i think they i and, think they'll go through a little i think they'll go through a little bit of a shakeout like the Astros did between uh 2015 and 2017 Houston's 20, 2016 was miserable and they yes they fought back and came within a couple of games of the playoffs uh, in 16, but they but they ended up missing out and ended up ended up uh, you know right around the 500 mark. Um, I think I see the same thing happening to the Yankees, if for the only reason that every team on the on the rise like that 
tends to have a season uh, of retrenchment um, where things don't break all the right way, where they do get an injury or two that knocks them cockeyed. Uh, I can see that happening. And then, you know, look out for them in 2019 um, because they'll have all that. They'll have, A, a playoff run, and, B, uh, a quote-unquote disastrous season under their belt, and that tends to toughen a team up. So I say 500 for the Yankees in 18, no playoffs, but winning the division, probably winning close to 100 games in 2019. All right, I'm I'm going to go out and 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 say crazy, not because uh, I think that a 500 record is is uh, is unusual or unexpected, but the the hundred wins, nah, I'm I, I have a hard time seeing that right now. Of course, a lot of things can change between now and then, but uh, I'm getting my stamp out and I'm dubbing you crazy. <laughs> well, call me crazy then. <laughs> All right, crazy. Well, we got about uh, time for one more question. I want to ask you about Juan Lagares. Um, he might be the the best defensive center fielder in in Major League Baseball. I think the Gold Gloves are either getting ready to be announced or just were announced. But he didn't have enough innings in the center to qualify. But despite how good he's been in the field, he's never really hit. And I want to know: Do you think that there's a minimum amount he needs to hit to justify carrying his glove? Um. Minimum, uh, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure about minimum amount to hit. I, I think there's a minimum amount he's got to get on. Uh, because as as you pointed out so eloquently a couple of years ago, his offense, he was a creature of Babbitt, you know. So it, it, it was, he's got he's to get on, he's, he needs other ways to get on base besides just, besides hitting into good luck. Uh so that's the minimum I see. I think I think he's got to he's got to have a minimum of, uh, you know, three sixty, three seventy on base percentage to be valuable. That would be uh, I would think on an almost impossible hurdle for him to reach. You know, my issue with Lagaris is he doesn't walk and he doesn't hit for power, so he's at the mercy of those hits falling in. And I don't think he's ever going to walk, so I'd like to see him, you know, swing for the fences. And you would have thought that uh, Kevin Long, with all of the success he had in getting guys like Murphy to elevate the ball, could have done the same with uh, Lagaris, but his fly ball percentage actually went down last year. But uh, so keep him or trade him? Uh, Keep him. Keep, it, keep, keep him up. at least there until Conforto comes back. All right, there you go. That's our last word tonight. I'd like to uh, thank uh, Charlie Hangley for joining us. And, uh, Charlie, any uh, preview on uh, tomorrow's story? <laughs> as soon as I think of it, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, please join us again uh, next Wednesday night at 11 p.m. Eastern. Uh, good night, everyone, and goodbye. Oh, wow.